Hello, my friends. Today we're talking to Nishche, CTO of Cactus Communications, and we discuss learnings from building several business units from the ground up, the challenges involved with scaling AI to drive revenue, and how to push hard and fail gracefully. All of this right here, right now, on the Modern CTO Podcast. is the Modern CTO Podcast. So tell me a little bit about your backstory, man. How did you first get into technology? I was growing up, I was always a tinkerer. I was a very tech savvy guy. Uh, We grew up in a very humble uh, household, um, but I always had a lot of access to a lot of books uh, via friends, family, libraries, and, you know, I should always uh, read a lot. And uh, always got into figuring things out, how things work, you know, getting into the innards of, of uh, devices and appliances and whatnot. And then uh, I, I got my first computer when I was in like sixth grade, I think uh, mid-90s, late 90s. And, uh, and it was like, whoa, mind-blowing time, right? And then I started, I, I, there was a magazine that used to come to my, my house uh, every, it was a monthly periodical. And in that, it, it mentioned like, HTML, the big thing. And I was like, whoa, what is HTML? And I started looking into it. And that's how I got introduced to DHTML at that time, which was basically the earlier version of JavaScript. And then, yeah, and then I started tinkering with it. Uh, and in, I think eighth grade, I built my first website. And I, I, I remember very uh, nicely, it was uh, something called tripod.com, where you, know, you built your HTML, you do FTP upload, um, you put in your scripts in a certain directory and then try to, I think, vaguely remember you have to merge it and whatnot. And then understanding what DNS is at that point, a website name and whatnot. So, so that's how my whole uh, tech thing started. But, but you know, I, I, I grew up in a, a certain city where uh, at that point, hardware or electronics was like the, the big thing. Uh, for my undergrad, I chose that. For my undergrad, I went into electronics and telecommunications. I had some subjects on programming, but not too many. But I remember in my third year, uh, I worked on a much very, very large uh, personal project as something that we, we were we were asked to do something really small, but I was uh, over ambitious. It failed drastically, but, <laughs> but I was over ambitious, went into building a large project. I had like microcontrollers and timing chips. And I, uh, if I remember it correctly, the... 8081, 8234, you know, all those chips and, and, and build the hardware. And, and given that it was a very um, sophisticated at that point uh, uh, solution, I had to write a lot of software and that was written in assembly language. So at that point, I realized that, hey, you know, hardware is really cool and great and obviously it's necessary, but, but software is fast. You know, you can make changes and you can, you can get that instant gratification, which you can't do that in software, right? I remember changing something means, you know, figuring out the whole circuit, um, uh, you know, soldering the, 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 the electronic components, and then eventually it works. It's, it's a long process. Yeah, we, we had a guy on the podcast a while ago that was making uh, AR headsets for firefighters. That Oh, very uh, cool. Yeah, it, it was really cool. It, like, it outlines the physical objects in the room through the smoke mm-hmm. so they can see what they're doing. Oh, um, wow. And he was talking about how it's really challenging to do hardware because he was like a soft worked in software for a long time and moved into hardware for this venture. And he was saying that it's, it's a big learning curve when suddenly 
moving a button by one inch costs you a hundred thousand dollars. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. No, absolutely, absolutely. No, I I completely agree. Um, plus, plus, it's 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 uh, software um, has a lot of wide uses uh, use cases, right? Once you know some, once you're good at a certain um, language, you understand the basics of how how things work. Uh, you can you have a wide uh, variety of industry that you can um, you know, contribute into. So anyhow, so that happened. I, I after my engineering, I went to the U.S. I did my masters, and there also I chose electrical engineering first, uh, and then moved to computer science, because um, what happened was um, I was there, and in it was a two-year course, uh, two-year course, and um, I realized that this is too long. You know, I mean, I have nothing else to do other than study. So I was like, let me do it faster. And then while that was happening, I started applying for the gradual assistantship or, or, or on-campus jobs, but never nothing worked out. And fortunately, at that time, I had a mentor who helped me saying, hey, you know what, why don't you try programming? And there are a lot of jobs available. It worked out well. I learned a lot. I did this 30-day online crash course. <laughs> and then I got a job at, when I was in the sixth month of my, of my uh, master's program. It was a full-time job, so uh, I had to like really balance it well. And I think that's that's how it started. You know, then I, I started as a developer, started with the C code, uh, then quickly moved into web development because that was the hot thing. You know, in the in the uh, late two thousands, and there I started. First, I built a lot of tools, uh, front end, back end. Then I started getting interested in how servers work, how back end systems work, database systems work. So then moved into systems engineering. At that point, um, DevOps uh, wasn't coined as a term. From there, moved on to various other jobs and then moved on to a boutique firm. Uh, it was a very small uh, software firm, a uh, handful of people. And there I joined as a head of technology from like senior developer to directly head of technology. It was small, so obviously titles were fancy, right? Yeah. But but what that helped me do is uh, there I had to make my own decisions. You know, I had to make decisions on how something looks, where something goes, uh, which tool to use what libraries to use, guide people. Um, I was also playing the pseudo product head role because I used to talk to the clients, listen to their requirements, design something. I learned how to do mockups, uh, learned about the basics of user experience, you know, that it does matter. So yeah, so I think from there I moved on to the, the world's largest, uh, one of the world's largest event management software company. And that was a great journey for me because after i came in um, the 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 business grew almost 500% in, in the in the four years i was there uh, so there i also worked as head of technology building products uh, i started having some product managers working with me i i built the the devops function we also grew a lot in 2000 late 2009 10s cloud was was the next big thing and and we were facing fortunately unfortunately we were facing uh, scaling problems scaling issues and we're like, okay, let's move to cloud. And I, I, I was like the person responsible, the brain behind moving the full system to cloud. The requirement given to us was that since it's an event management software, a SaaS software, you cannot have any downtime. It has to be zero downtime. And it's like, okay, let's figure that out, how that works. That's crazy. That's really cool that you were able to um, get to that like a head of technology role um, at the smaller company and then still, and then just progress to continue in that at that level at the larger company. That's, that's awesome. Yeah, that's, yeah absolutely. Uh, that's something I think about in um, like the trajectory of my career where like, we're like a six person company and I have a lot of decision-making that I do 
at, at like our, our size, I'm always wondering like, will, will anyone even, even care after this? Like, <laughs> or do I have to go prove it at, and start from the bottom at a larger company if i decided to do that you know no i agree i completely agree and you know i always say this so uh when i when i have a younger gen the next generation come in and chat with me uh interns who come and chat with me or even some of my cousins i always say that you know uh while the the big companies are really good there's there's googles and facebook's of the world and really good definitely see if you can at some point in a career work in a small company in a in a some in, in some significant role because what happens there is that you get hands-on, you know, you get to make mistakes, you get to make really big mistakes. Plus you get to know about how all the nitty gritties work, uh, how, uh, how things are dependent on each other and whatnot. Uh, plus for me, you, you know, I, I, so I'm, I'm, I'm a citizen of India and, and I used to work in the U S so there was this whole H1B uh, jazz and, and uh, literally each, each and every friend of mine, uh, for them, it was an essential that they get the green card. So they, they stay in one company forever for a long period, sorry, not forever. <laughs> but for me, that never matters. Like, I don't care. I need to make my career. So I need to keep pushing, keep moving. Uh, and I don't really care if I'm in a big company, as long as I'm getting a great, really good work to do and I'm happy and I'm, I, I can see that I'm progressing. I think that's, that's important. Absolutely. So tell me how you met the team at Cactus and joined where you're at today. Yeah, absolutely. So, so, uh, towards, uh, towards the mid, uh, end, end of 2014, um, just one fine day, we decided that, uh, me, my wife, and, and, and we, we have a daughter that, uh, Hey, you know, let's just move back to India. And uh, it was, it was just a spur of the moment decision. Like, okay, fine. Enough, enough of the U S let's move to India. <laughs> and then I started uh, talking to a few people and that's how cactus happened. And, and, and cactus was a very fun, uh, sorry, very, very, very interesting story because, if you think about it, you know, when I, when I joined Cactus, it was a team of 10 to 15 people in tech. And I was at a point in my career that I wanted to now grow uh, significantly in, in all directions. Uh, so it was a very big uh, gamble, if you may, I took. but And it worked out pretty amazing. Uh, because, uh, you know, as I said, you know, when, when, I, when I joined in, we were 10 to 15 people in tech. And today we are 300. And this is in, this is in wow. less than seven years. Yeah. And it has been a, a fascinating and a very, very fulfilling experience um, and many more years to go. So Cactus, uh, maybe I could talk a bit about what Cactus is. Um, so Cactus yeah, yeah, is a collection of uh, many businesses, right? It's not really one business. So we have Editage, we have Cactus Life Sciences, we have Impact Science, PaperPal, so on and so forth. And we, are, um, we, we primarily work in the academia and the pharma space. And we are one of the very few uh, large companies which are auto-centric, uh, which means essentially what we do is we, we bridge communication gap between research and the world. We, we help the research researcher, the author, disseminate their research uh, to the world, you know, starting from helping them with translation, uh, the subject matter editing, uh, providing them publication support, uh, and to the point, you know, helping the researchers promote their published research uh, to the world. Um, you know, so we are a tech product company. Uh, we have many suites of products. So, uh, PaperPal is one of the suite researcher.life and, and whatnot. And, and that's where, that's where, that's where that happened. That's where for me, my focus started going into AI. So a large part of my, like almost hundred percent of my focus was in building the AI team, uh, started with, uh, like a person and a half, like one and a half people, me and one of the devs, we started building it a lot of failures along the way. 
but fortunately uh, things worked out well and and uh, today we have uh, we have a, a ai and machine learning group called cactus labs um which which is generating a lot of uh, ip for us which is generating a lot of ai um uh, solutions which then those solutions are being used by other businesses within cactus uh, to 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 you know uh, push push their uh, business up and plus many of these solutions that we've built um are are being packaged into products uh, under the umbrella term paperpal and researcher.life uh, and what not so so yeah so that's how that's how cactus cactus really happened that's awesome man so i know that cactus started um by like helping scientists get their papers and work published um is that still a big part of the business today yes yes absolutely it is still a big part of the business and it will continue to be a big part of business for foreseeable future so do you have like a so how does that work exactly what what is your role there um do you provide like subject matter experts that like help with peer review or um like what's what's the value add that cactus does for these scientists that are trying to get published sure no absolutely i think uh, from a very uh, high level perspective if i have to if i have to say is that we we provide the the language support right so as as a as a researcher as a author you're good at your subject you're good at your experiment you're good at your research uh, but that research has to has to go out somewhere uh, where people can have access to it right so it's like it's like a, you build a product but that product is useless until you can market it in the right channels uh similarly with a researcher you know for them uh, for a research to have any credibility it has to be published into a journal first uh so that's where that's where we come in you know we we take the research uh, if it is not in the english language we translate it from a native language to english language uh then we we have editors who work on the paper to edit it um that we have formatters who will format it for the journal requirements and then get it helped uh, and then send it back to author who can then get it published into a journal the translators and the editors are the key components or the key uh, value adds right because you if it's a if it's a it's a if it's a paper on cancer uh, we will need to it is essential or actually it is uh, mandatory that an oncologist is editing the paper right because the subject matter uh, matters a lot yeah. um so you cannot have a uh, architectural uh, major um, edit a you know social sciences paper or you cannot have an anthropology guy uh, edit a uh, you know a neurology paper it's just different subject areas very different tone language understanding that's really cool so recently i actually got to interview um an executive from this company called sophos that they're a cybersecurity company and they do a lot of really cool stuff stopping ransomware um but one thing that was really interesting about them is they actually have like this whole website separate from their main website dedicated to publishing scholarly papers on AI um and they like encourage their in-house experts to do research and publish it he was saying that um like like you were saying about cactus labs encouraging your in-house people to do research on AI obviously like creates a lot of valuable ip for the company and it also was like he said it draws in like really smart people um that are doing academic research that want to come in and join the company because of 
the opportunity to get published. And so I was curious, do you guys help um, any of your internal subject matter experts get published themselves? Yeah, so unfortunately, we've, we've not been very good at that uh, because, you know, we are still growing. We are at a, at a we are at an inflection point now uh, because early on when we when we went to the business saying, OK, we need to put money in AI, um, obviously from any business angle, it's OK, where's the outcome, right? And in order to push for the outcome, we have to, uh, you know, uh, focus on the outcome. So the last couple of years, which is the first first couple of years of AI, we were focusing a lot on outcome, building the team, building the capabilities. And now we have started, so we already have an intern who's not an intern now, now he's one of the key members of our team who actually wrote his thesis uh, with us. Uh, so he was in his PhD program, he wrote his thesis with us, got it published while he was working with us on our uh, solution. And uh, we are also currently uh, looking for researchers who can actually do that. So I think the next couple of years will be that where we have we have acquired critical mass and now we will uh, move into more research and, and and actually giving back to the community. That's really cool. So what are what are some of the cool things that you've seen come out of Cactus Labs and in, in the research there? Oh yeah. Uh, so I so Cactus. I think um, we are when we when we started right. The the thing was that how do we how do we leverage AI to make a difference in business right. And we know that for 20 years, Cactus has been in the business of editing papers, uh, editing uh, literature. So we have collected massive amounts of data, our own IP, uh, our editors making an edit. So we said, let's start using that in order, in order to build an AI that can edit. So that is our number one uh, contribution uh, to, the, to, to the company and to the world where we, we have leveraged uh, NLP, we have leveraged deep learning um, language models and whatnot to generate something called an automated editing system, which will take a uh, unedited uh, piece of text in English and emits a grammatically correct, structurally correct piece of text. So that has been our like number one win. And uh, we've got many more. So we also have something called concept extraction where we take piece of text and we extract uh, key concepts, semantically uh, correct concepts out of the out of the uh, out of the text and create a user fingerprint or, or, or a text fingerprint, which can then be used to map or or, or match uh, similar uh, literature. Uh, so that's what we've built. We are a lot into big data today. Uh, so we are collecting all the world's intelligence. Like, sorry. <laughs> the better way to say it is that we're collecting all the world's uh, uh, published papers, uh, whichever is available online, uh, open access, and uh, we are we are we are creating a big big data lake, and we are running a lot of intelligence on top of it, and we we have a lot of plans to run again a lot of AI on top of it to generate value for the business. So those are some of the things we've done. We also built some image recognition system. And using YOLO and other libraries where we would detect birthmark status uh, on human human skin um, to check for consent. If you're using that image in a, in a paper, you have to check for consent. So we build that. And uh, yes, and we've also tinkered a little bit with AR. Again, that was more of a fun project, side project kind of a thing. It could become big, but we don't really have really bandwidth to productize it today. That's awesome. So um, did you have like a extensive background in AI when you kind of started <laughs> implementing it at a cactus or how'd you, how'd you get started with it? Yeah, that's a, that's a very good, very good question. So, yeah, so it was, it was, it was very, it was very interesting journey. So I, I had, I have no background in AI. 
but fortunately, I have done my master's. I, I, I was into computer science, so I understand a lot of the basics of computer science, basics of math that, that goes into building AI, right? Uh, so when we started, uh, the thinking was that instead of, you know, as, as a leader, you always have to make a decision. Should you buy or should you build, right? And buy versus build is always a question. So when we did start, at, as I said, one and a half member team, the thinking was instead of building, let's just buy, let's just work with a consulting agency who can who can provide us AI experts and, and help help us build something. And that's what we did. That's what we started with. But that never worked out for various reasons. Uh, because again, it's it's an emerging emerging. Uh, it was an it is still an emerging industry. So there there are a lot of players in the market who are not really AI experts. They're more of an FL statement experts. But but uh, so that didn't work out. So then we started uh, working with universities. So we we partnered with another universities in the in the US and and worked with their head of computational linguistic uh, head of computational linguistics and uh, worked with him and and his team. Um, to build something, and when that was while that was happening for me, I had to do a lot of learning myself. So, um, you know, uh, reading papers, uh, uh, learning about you know mon- multi-dimensional algebra, linear algebra, probability. Uh, you know, uh, there, there, there's a stand, there's, there are really good courses on Stanford uh, and MIT video MIT uh, on OpenCourseWare on how uh, you know uh, probability and statistics work. So I did all of that online, uh, you know, went through the Coursera course and whatnot, just to, just so that I can speak the language uh, of, of the people that I hire, of the people that I work with. I personally haven't really written a lot of code. Uh, early on, I did. Early on, we, we did because we were using something called PyTorch, uh, which was a which is a very uh, non-unsophisticated library. So so you had to really tinker around with the architecture. But yeah, so I, I, that, that's how the journey journey came to be. That's really cool. So what advice would you have for smaller companies that are looking to start building out an AI team from that experience? Yeah, I think uh, what, what matters is, is uh, get a couple right people. Um, so we failed at that. So early on, we hired a few people who were not right. And that, that also you know, slowed us down. But then fortunately, you know, we, we got uh, one or two good people and that really, those people really helped us. So, so don't uh, fret on investing in the right people. Uh, it will be a large investment, uh, but but let let that happen. And also, whoever is leading it. Um, so, if any business leader. So, I was a business leader leading it at that point. Uh, it is essential that that is it is not one of the many uh, goals or one of the many uh, targets that they have. You know, it is essential that for the business leader who's leading it, it is their singular focus. Uh, because once it is set up, you can definitely move to other things. But when you're setting it up, it is essential to have the right focus and, and continuous focus and, and absolute persistence. Very, very necessary because there will be many failures on the way. Making a sample AI, making something that works in test is very easy. But actually scaling it to production such that you're actually generating money out of it, that is hard because it requires a lot of feedback loops and a lot of changes in workflow you know, to accommodate AI. So AI is not like a drop-in replacement. Um, you have to accommodate it. You have to make sure that you are changing as a business uh, in order to leverage it well. That makes sense, especially um, just how difficult it is to productize because when you're when you're just like experimenting and trying to iterate and make it better, like if there's failures, that's fine. You know, you just iterate on it. But once you're charging people money, then 
if there's failures, you, you got to answer for it. <laughs> and that <laughs> seems, seems stressful. So one thing I, I was curious to ask you, because you were talking about working in different, like head of technology roles and now CTO, um, how would you say that those two job titles are like different day to day? They are a lot different, right? Um, so, so actually, uh, the, the role of a CTO, right? The, the the title of CTO is does not really have a very strict global definition, right? And it should not. Uh, you know, uh, it is essential that 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 the the title may remain the same, but the role has to keep changing. So, as I said, when I when I first joined in, I was I was actually playing the tech head role. And I was actually writing code. I was I was helping people select the right 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 uh, libraries to use, the the right tools to use. I remember doing doing a session, doing not one session, multiple session uh, sessions on how to use Git, how to how to version your uh, code well, how to how to deploy it well, you know, stuff like that. So it's it's very it's very deep down, uh, hands on. And then, then I moved into um, you know building, building, building various types of teams uh, that are required for a successful tech company, right? So technology is one thing, software development is one thing, but you need QA, you need automation, uh, automation of QA, uh, you need product management, you need user experience uh, team, uh, you need all these teams in order to build a successful uh, tech company. Uh, so that was the role I was playing. Then, you know, while the title remained the same, the role I was playing of basically was a business consultant to build a tech company. Then, then as as we progressed, you know, I was playing the role of of a of how to expand well. So, you know, expanding is comes in two flavors, right? One is you you keep hiring people internally, or you start hiring externally, which is you you outsource. So. I think one of the years I focused strictly or, or not strictly, but focused a lot on how to outsource well. So now today we have seven different agencies that work with us where we outsource a lot of things, the smaller parts. And setting that up was difficult because then you don't have to play a tech role. I mean, tech, yes. You also have to play a business role again. You have to, you have to negotiate pricing. You have to negotiate contracts and so on and so forth. Then I then I think one of the other roles I've played is a sales role, so sales tech roles or a sales tech integration role. Where you know I used to meet with the with the publishers. You know I've traveled to almost all the top four publishers' offices, spoken with them multiple times online on how can we integrate our software, our tools within uh, uh, their ecosystem, and why should we do that? Not not so much about the act of integration, which is the tech guy's job, but but also playing the tech partner role. Uh, so that is another role I played, and I have played. And then finally, the AI head role there, you know, um, building the AI function. And there again, I went back to being hands-on early on. So I was really hands-on writing code, um, you know, uh, right, going to forums and figuring out solutions, asking, ask, contacting the developers on GitHub, asking them for help. On, okay, we are stuck. We can't deploy. The, the things aren't scaling. We are not able to utilize the full GPU, you know, all those things. So yeah, so I think that's that's how the roles differ. And uh, I, I always uh, believe this that you know um, at a leadership level, uh, your evolution will make the company evolve, and it's not vice versa. You know, you have to evolve, and your evolution uh, will basically push the company to evolve in the right direction, uh, and that is very very critical. It sounds like uh, in your time there, creating all these different functions that that you talked about most recently, AI function. Um, it's like kind of a cycle of 
being really hands-on and then slowly stepping back. But yes, absolutely. I imagine in those early days of, of starting up a new function, when you're really hands-on, um, failure obviously is a big part of it and a positive part of it because that's you're iterating and, and creating something new. But right. as a leader, when there is a big failure, how do you communicate that to your team like gracefully? Yeah. Yeah. So I, that's, that's, that's a term I use a lot at work. You know, if you do fail, please fail gracefully. It is, it is okay to fail, uh, not just okay to fail. It is necessary to fail. Um, because if you have all the wins all the time, you, you're not really building the right thing. You're not really, you're not you're really not pushing, hard uh, enough. pushing, you're not pushing hard enough. You, you don't have the resistance. Um, so it's okay to fail because then you're taking risks. So, so I failed a lot in my, my, life always right starting from the first job starting from studies jobs etc and i've i've not never i've not always failed gracefully and over the years i've learned how to do that so yeah so as i said you know it, it's essential to fail gracefully it is essential to be aware of of what is happening around you uh, uh, you know it is essential to own own your own failures you know it is very very essential to own that okay this okay i failed you know take the responsibility of the mess and, and figure out how to clean it up, ask for help. You know, uh, I, a lot of times it does happen that, you know, uh, some, you don't ask for help. You know, you, you, are, you, are, you are standing in the middle of the road, um, you know, uh, staring at the headlights and like, okay, now what do I do? So don't do that. You know, <laughs> be, be aware, be mindful that you're not doing that. You're asking, you're failing actively and, and talk about it. So uh, fortunately, you know, at Cactus, we have the culture, uh, we have a very good culture in terms of failures. It's, it's, it's okay to fail as long as you know, you're learning from it, as long as there's reflection, you know. Uh, so even, even Ray Dalio used to always say, and he does say one of those principles that, you know, pain plus reflection is progress. Um, so if you have the reflection after you have failed, that's where you uh, make your progress. And lastly, I think it's, it's very, very essential uh, to, to, to make yourself aware, understand what is in your control, you know, what is your circle of influence and where you can't influence, ask for help and, and, and figure it out. That is excellent advice, man. Thank you for sharing that. Sure. So before we wrap up, is there anything that we didn't get to touch on today that we want to make sure we get out to the world? Like any, anything you want to shout out for cactus? What, what do you want people to remember? No, I, I think from a, from a leadership side, it is uh, what what I would say is that you know, as as a CTO, as a head of head of technology, think of your role as a QA. You know, you you are the QA. You you bring in the vision. You help verify the vision. You 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 help your second line, your third line, your team members commit to the vision. You know, you and once they are committed, they will have accountability. You give them accountability. You give them the the power of decision making. And, and you eject yourself uh, from, from it. You know, you don't, don't, don't become part of the design. Don't become part of the solution all the time. And this is, that's how I have seen uh, the teams grow very well. Uh, when you're in a startup, that's, that's opposite, right? When you're a startup, you have to be part of the solution. You have to be part of the design. You have to be hands-on and, and, and make things happen. But at some point, you've got to scale up. And when you do scale up, you have to figure out how do you let it go and, and, and look, observe from a 30,000 feet and you come in, you test it out, and you move out. So, so I think that's that's very critical to grow, and that's has always helped me uh, grow the teams. So even Cactus Labs, we started as a one-member team. Now we have about fifty people, 
the reason we are able to do that is because you know even my my second line who are the the VPs of the of the organizations that's why I always tell them that just just eject yourself don't 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 make yourself part of the problem yeah absolutely so it, are you are you guys hiring do you, should people reach out to you if if they're looking yes. to join your team yes absolutely we are hiring we are hiring if you are a tech person and if it's if if tech interests you if ai interests you front end back end devops everything we are hiring for literally all positions including product management user experience user research um yeah so we we are we are looking to grow our team we want to we want to grow our team drastically in the next couple of years um so definitely please uh, reach out to me sure thank you so much for listening and if you found this episode useful please share it with a friend or a colleague who you think would get value from it and if you have topics that you'd like to hear discussed on the podcast either add me on linkedin or send me an email, joel at moderncto.io. Every time I get an email or LinkedIn message, it absolutely makes my day and inspires me to keep going.